Hi, everybody. Tom Zenner here. Welcome to Sports Now with Tom Zenner. This is episode number six. Thanks to uh, everybody that's been following the show since the get-go. And if you're brand new, make sure you subscribe to Valuetainment Sports. We have a new episode every single week and more content coming. So follow the channel. Watch it every single day. Starting this week, you're going to see a lot more con uh, content. So I'm really looking forward to pumping that out to you. And today's show is going to be outstanding. We have a great panel and some great topics to talk about first. So let me introduce my two cohorts today. Paul Escarcega joining us again. Paul, good to see you. Glad to be back. All right. And you may recognize this gentleman over here, Phil Heath, only the seven-time Mr. Olympia. Phil, pleasure to have you here today. Uh, thanks for having me. Now, I got to say, so Phil has, is starting with Valuetainment now, so he's going to be a regular face here. We're so excited to have you, and it's awesome. Plus, he's going to be appearing at the vault, going to be one of the oh, primary yeah. speakers, September uh, 1st through the 4th here in Florida. But, you know, let me congratulate you, and, and I'm sure you like goals, but, I mean, you come in here and you now have the third best physique at Valuetainment, so <laughs> you know what you can strive for over here. Patrick Bad David is number four. Okay. Right behind yep. you. Uh, but hey, great to see you. No, thank you. This is great. Um, being in Florida, being with you guys, you know, creating content, pr producing value for the audience is great. Yeah. You know, when you're a world famous bodybuilder and at the elite level for so long, people have expectations when they see you. They're always going to expect, you know, a big physique, the big mm -hmm. muscles. You probably own every room when you walk in. Is that how your life has been? You walk in, it's instant respect, instant attention. That has to be something that goes along with the business that's kind of nice. Well, you're definitely, it's a it's a gift and a curse in a, in a way because you're definitely going to get sized up a lot because a lot of guys are, you know, alphas and they want to like check you out like, okay, how do I compare? And for me, it's not about me comparing myself to everybody else. I compare myself on a bodybuilding stage, whereas for them it's a little different. Um, so I just walk in and try to do my thing. But yes, you do get the stares. What the really cool part is is that you get to see the kids' reactions. And those kids, you know, they're like, dad, look, look, the muscles. And then, you know, you kind of catch their eye and you hit them with a bicep shot and they're like, oh my God. Yeah. And the poor dad's going, oh man. I, yeah. You just should have hit the gym, man. You literally lose a fan right there. You literally lose a fan. Kid loves you. You gain a fan with well, the no, kid. Well, no, you gain two. You gain the yeah. wife and yeah. the kid. Yeah. <laughs> and dad, poor dad off yeah. to the side. All right. Well, guys, we have some good topics to talk about here. Um, football season's about ready to start off. We got baseball in the, you know, the playoffs are a month away and so many other things, too. But I want to start with the Jake Paul fight. So that's coming up this coming Sunday as we tape this. He's taking on Tyron Woodley, a former UFC champion. All right. Not just another scrub, but a former champion who doesn't know how to box. OK, so there's that caveat for Jake Paul. And here's the topic that really I want to focus on with you guys and discuss is you know, Jake Paul is on the warpath for trying to get MMA fighters paid more. At least that's what we—that's what he's projecting, and that's the message that he always has, that he's on their side. Now, is he using that as just a little way to dig Dana White and keep that front and center in front of his face? So the story this past week was the sparring partner Jake Paul has had for the last two months said he made more money being paid by Jake Paul for sparring with him, getting him ready for this fight, than he made his entire career at Bellatar. Okay, so that's a great headline and everything, but when you peel it back a little bit, the guy was two and three. So it's not like he was a great fighter in Bellatar. You got to win. You've got to have main events to make the real money. I have a very good friend who's a champion in Bellatar. He earned it. He's, he, he gets paid big bucks for a reason. This guy didn't. So here's my quick thoughts on, on Jake Paul and this whole topic for him, and then I'm going to turn it over to Paul and Phil here in just a second. And my advice for Jake Paul would be be very careful when you're dealing with Dana White because there's a difference between being what you are, Jake Paul, which is a master marketer, a good boxer, you know, a, a very famous and popular person, 
But he's on a different level. Dana White is different. Dana White is a businessman. He's ruthless. He's powerful. And he doesn't give a damn about your following on YouTube. And I think this works for you, for what you're looking to accomplish in boxing. And you're using the topic of getting MMA fighters and UFC fighters paid more because you think they're grossly underpaid. But be very, very careful because you need Dana White. You need, if, he has to sign off anytime you want to fight these UFC fighters. You can't fight boxers because boxing's dead. So I would equate almost this like a grizzly bear out in the wilderness. And, and a YouTube star is messing with the grizzly bear and he's throwing rocks at him and he's poking him with a stick and he's shooting him in the eye with a squirt gun. Funny stuff, great content. But eventually that grizzly bear is going to peel back and backhand you and separate your face from your cranium if you're not careful. So my advice would be tread lightly around Dana White because he's a good sport and he's taken it for now. But um, he could put a stop to this pretty darn quickly. And I'll start with you, Paul. And when you watch this and you see what's going on, you've seen Jake Paul talk about this, how they only get 10% of the actual revenue that's driven in the UFC compared to like 50% in the NBA. What do you think his agenda is? Is this just another way to prop up his fights, turn himself into this the spotlight on him in boxing? Or do you think he's really fighting for the fighters in the UFC? If there's a business model component to this, like he wants to go kind of like the Oscar De La Hoya route or uh, Floyd Mayweather, where he's maybe looking to end up in like the promotional game, then, uh, you know, I think it's a great strategy because then, again, there's some sort of uh, end game to it. If this is just a an extension of building up his own brand, then that can end up, you know, kind of biting him in, in the ass a little bit. You know, I've been in, I've been in um, Dana White's office in Las Vegas. I spent a day with him one time, and I did a big story with him. He's just fascinating. I'm a big fan of Dana White and everything he's built with the UFC, but his office is truly unbelievable. When you go into his office, you know that they don't have an HR department at the UFC. <laughs> okay, that is the one thing that strikes you. Because he's got he's got this coffee table that has actual cocaine in it and drugs and a gun in it. I forgot what the details were of it, but it's an unbelievable little piece of art that represented maybe a, a big drug deal gone bad or something with a cartel or something. But there's a story behind everything. Very interesting artwork and whatnot. And, and, and Phil, you were in a sport where it wasn't you didn't have a league no one was paying you you had to make sponsorships prize money it was you against everybody else you either won or you didn't what do you think ufc fighters if if you were hearing that they're making 10% and, and and what they put on the line just to get into the ring and get into the octagon what, what's your take on that first of all i think he's finessing this whole situation i mean i think he's it's it's not a promotional game you know like you're talking about paul mm. I, I actually think that he's just leveraging the hell out of these fighters that are maybe no longer relevant in the UFC and just catapulting his own brand off of their likeness. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, we'll have to see him lose for us to kind of figure out like, okay, does this really help the UFC fighters? But at the end of the day, I agree with you. There's no reason to poke the bear named Dana White. There is no freaking way because I mean, the, the man Dana White has already gone through wars He's already gone through, you know, major business deals and stuff like that. For all we know, the art of war could already be in his back pocket saying like, okay, Jake, like you keep doing what you're doing, but I've got a million other ways to litigate against your ass. I got a million other ways to block other deals. Mm -hmm. And, but the good thing is, is that Dana is a highly competitive person. And I really applaud that because he just welcomes the shit. Like he just is like, come on, like, let's go. And Paul does as well. And I think that... I don't necessarily agree with the strategy, but it, again, it goes on brand with 
with with Jake and Logan Paul is it, it they're they're going to keep staying relevant. And Dana White is that name, kind of like how people, you know, uh, in the Trump days would go after Trump. It automatically moves your article up. Or oh, your absolutely. They up. did it to me in bodybuilding. Trust yeah. me, like when they want to get their name up, they're going to mention Phil Heath in, exactly. in these bodybuilding circles and stuff. So I understand that personally. But yeah. on that level. I mean, we're talking about billion-dollar guys here. I mean, we're talking about, like, Dana yeah. White. Yeah, and, and here's the other thing, too, is I, I think the topic that he's bringing up, because I bet you a lot of these UFC fighters are perfectly happy with what they make. I mean, some fighters that come from nothing, and they're getting paid 10000 15000 25, what whatever it is, and they know if they are more successful, they'll get paid more. But he's planting that seed in there that you're underpaid. It's almost like going into an Amazon warehouse and, and trying to start a union, where, yeah. where people weren't thinking about it and thought, hey, I like the benefits, I like working for Amazon, but hmm, let me think about that. What? I'm not getting five weeks of paid vacation. Uh, my health benefits aren't this. I'm not getting that. You start thinking about what you don't have. And he's planted that seed that could that could grow and become a real problem for him. And here's what he's doing to Dana White. He's not just messing with him and trolling him. He's essentially saying that Dana White doesn't care about UFC fighters. And that's a very, very personal thing to say. And that that is something that would get somebody pissed off very, very quickly and, and look to squash you if he possibly could. And, and White's has that reputation. I mean, you, you, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Liddell, right? Mm-hmm. Chuck Liddell. There's a lot of uh, critics that say, hey, you know, he should have never fought those last couple fights. You know, like, you're not looking out for your guy. Yeah, by put him in the ring. It's, it's, so it's, it's, White it's, doesn't have that great reputation. True, but that's that's a fine line to walk because you are running a business, right? And Chuck Liddell was the biggest star. Absolutely. You, you throw out him out there and the pay-per-views just start ringing the cash register. I mean, we all know, like, if you if you want to make it big... You go to UFC, yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, you look at Conor McGregor. He's starting UFC. Yeah. You know, yeah. And he bitched and he moaned, you know, with Dana and stuff. But the, at the end of the day, I mean, he still worked with Dana to go figure out a path to where he could get paid more money. Because remember, back in the day, you know, Conor was like, "Look, I, I need to get paid more money. Like, yeah. I'm producing." But he had the numbers. Yeah. See, it's very difficult where. You know, you can't just expect just because you're a pro that you're automatically going to get signed to these contracts. You're not guaranteed shit. Like you're not like you can't assume that anymore. We live in a society today where they're looking at your engagement on social media. They're looking at just your overall likeness. They have so many different algorithms and, you know, data points that are going to tell the owner like, hey, he's worth fifty thousand dollars for an appearance or one hundred thousand dollars or whatever. I tell all the all the bodybuilders same way I would tell a UFC guy. Enhance your freaking likeness, show that you have some value outside of what your craft is, because that's what Jake Paul and Logan Paul well, and then did. They'll pay you accordingly, and then they'll right? pay the, you. The money will come to you. It'll find you. By the way, and, if you were looking for something to do, and Logan Paul started talking smack, started ripping up your your centerfolds from back of the day when you're posing, he challenges you. Would you get in the ring? Would you start training for boxing? Take three months and go in there and fight him? I just think that's stupid. Like you don't play boxing. Yeah, you just don't like you know. It's not an ego t- contest. That that'd be like me saying, "Hey, come train with me, and I'm going to put you through these workouts." You probably pull all kind of muscles and stuff like that. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I was actually, you know, asked, you know, "Hey, would you ever do like a celebrity boxing and this and that?" I say, "Absolutely not," because I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to disrespect a sport. Number one, like you don't play yeah. boxing, you don't play MMA. Yeah. Like you know, these are this is a very high-intense contact sport where someone could die. True that, but here's yeah. the difference. Here's the difference. Right now, the, the Paul brothers are the most relevant thing in the entire sport of boxing. Mm-hmm. They are the one, number one reason people tune into boxing. I mean, Manny Pacquiao tried to get it going again at the age of 42. Who would pay for that crap? But, the, yeah. the, but then again, boxing needs to look at, hey, 
who are our guys right now? It's and close. actually have some type of conversation with some of these champions or up-and-comers and say, hey, look, we need to have a strategy session as to how you know, we can promote you. But it also comes with the athletes. The athletes have to establish some type of team to go to the, you know, the powers that be in these organizations and say, hey, look, this is what I want to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight on short notice. I'm going to fight here. I'm going to fight there. Yeah. I'm going to promote. I'm going I'm to do those appearances that the normal guy won't do. But I need backing. I need sponsors. I need, I need, I need, I yeah, need. Yeah, we've been saying that about boxing for a very long time. I think the number one thing they should do is look for a third Paul brother, see if they can find yeah. another one and start and, and grafting bo- and into boxing's it. the most popular it's ever been. I mean, and that's a sad thing. Be- but because of Jake and Because yeah. of Paul. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Klitschko is the last guy I kind of remember. I mean, besides Mayweather, of course. But So are we, so we going to expect Tyron to lose? Are, I we, think are we going so. in thinking I, look, that he's going to lose? I'm going to say yeah, this right say. now. I think I think Jake Paul's a legitimate boxer. Yeah. I, I think he's head and shoulders above his brother Logan. I think he's a tactician. I think he's getting great training. I think he's an outstanding boxer, and I think he's going to win. It's for the simple fact that Woodley is taking it for the paycheck and has no experience in boxing. You just don't learn boxing in a we, couple weeks. So then what is, what is the next move uh, after that? Like, does the, he fight well, uh, an actual real boxer after that? I can tell you what I think it's going to be. Here is the end game as I see it for the Paul brothers, and I really firmly believe this. And you know, they fight made, each other. Well, they've, they've made that. their headquarters down here. They're going to go through their list of, here in Miami, here in South Florida, where we are. So they're going through their list of C-list MMA fighters, mm-hmm. washed-up boxers, yep. big names here and there, and they're going to keep winning. They're going to keep. They might lose one here or there, or get a draw like they did with Mayweather or Mayweather, but they're going to be the number one thing in boxing now. Look where the money's coming from. It's coming from Showtime. All right? So they're off that little app right now. And they, Jake Paul is backed by Showtime, just like Oscar De La Hoya or somebody back in the day. So here's how it's going to go down. These guys are both going to take about five more fights over the course of a year and a half or two years, keep building this, keep talking smack at the UFC, because ultimately Jake Paul doesn't need the UFC unless he only wants to fight Conor McGregor. This is leading to Jake versus Logan for nine figures each. They will each make $100 million. It'll be the biggest thing. It'll be family against family. It'll be three months of buildup. And I think that's what's going to happen in a couple years. And who doesn't want to watch that? Everybody will pay for it and watch it. Well, the formula is there, right? I mean, if we're already prophesizing it, it's probably already been talked about a couple years ago, and I could definitely see it happening. You know, unfortunately, I think the the current boxers out there are not speaking out enough and saying, look, like, I want some of that. Let's make that happen. Yeah. The UFC guys that are that are taking these fights at the end of the day, I mean, I respect their craft. I think they're all badasses, and I've met a lot of them. But I, I definitely believe that if you go ahead and fight these guys, it's, it's not about – if you're doing a cash grab and you're going for that bag, make sure that you have, like, another three to five moves after that to, you know, whether it be writing books or whatever, because I don't see you ever going back to another boxing event, let alone another MMA event. Well, and you mentioned something earlier about, uh, like, the athletes taking their own – uh, kind of taking the own uh, um, ownership for ownership. the brand, yeah. And and while you were speaking, I went back to uh, Rocky Three mm-hmm. and remember how you know Mr. T Clubber Lang, you know, went after Rocky and kind yeah. of coerced him. And so if if we're calling the the Pauls like Rocky, you need if 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 other boxers that are actually serious and want to be on that pedestal, like they have to come after them and then kind of make that name that they but they don't want to do guy. that because they they went through a different route to become a pro. Yeah, and. You know, they, they probably sit on their high horses like, look, man, I, I had 100 fights as an amateur and stuff like that to even, like, who am I? I don't want to go down to his level and stuff when really in all seriousness, 
we're dealing with an influencer game right now. Yeah. You got to just say, hey, woman, you know, yeah, like, yeah, listen, <laughs> there, there, there's, there's no boxer that's relevant. There's zero. We just came off the Olympics. Every other wow. time we have an Olympiad, we, we become, we fall in love with an American boxer. Yeah. I couldn't tell you one if my life depended on it. There is yeah. no boxer out there that's going to move the needle whatsoever at all. Here's the difference. The Paul brothers are marketers who can really box, okay? You have boxers <laughs> yeah. that have no idea how to be marketers. Yep. So they're going to they're gonna grab all the spotlight right now, and they're interesting, and I'm rooting for them. You know, I hope Jake Paul wins. I think he's working hard and, and becoming a legitimate boxer, and I don't like it when guys think that they can just jump in there and, and hang with them, but I think it'll be entertaining, and I'll watch it. I watched the Logan Paul fight. I'll watch this one, too. Yeah, I got to watch it. Yeah. <laughs> how could you not? Right? So I'll see you guys uh, Sunday yeah, night. Yeah, see you Sunday night. Yeah. <laughs> all right, hey, our next topic. Um, this is pretty interesting. So we're getting ready to start the football season, and all eyes on the Bucks can they repeat Tom Brady back? He's 44 years old, looking good. It's been interesting if you watch the Bucks right now. Brady's blowing up in practice, so is Bruce Arians. You really get the idea that these two guys don't want the rest of the team to rest on their laurels. They have everybody back this year, and can they win another one? Can Tom Brady win his eighth Super Bowl? It's unbelievable. But an interesting story came out this week about the Falcons, and Robert Alford, who played for the Falcons when they played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, was talking to Malcolm Butler, the former Patriot, who's now his teammate with the Arizona Cardinals, and and Alfred was telling him that at halftime of that Super Bowl, when the Falcons were playing the Patriots, they were literally celebrating in the locker room at halftime. It was 28 to 3. They were talking about popping bottles of champagne. They were dancing. I mean, if you want to blame anybody, blame their idiotic head coach who doesn't come in there and say, shut the hell up. This game is half over. Offense over here, defense over here, you know, to allow your. Hey, that's Matt Ryan's fault, too. That's, that's a lack like of leadership yeah, with everyone. Every yeah. every freaking coach in there. I mean, look, at the end of the day, Freeney, from, fr wasn't Freeney on from, the team? from front office all the way down to the freaking water boy, like, I'm telling you right now. Everybody has to be locked in. Yeah, and it yeah. starts and, with that head coach. And it's and, Dan Quinn, and I don't know if you're watching Hard Knocks with the Dallas Cowboys, but he's into the one swearing constantly. He's the defensive coordinator yeah. for the for the Cowboys now. He's just basically a poser on that show. So anyway, the, so he said, we were celebrating too early. Brady came back. Let me ask you this. You guys are football fans. Brady wins that Super Bowl, comes back, an amazing comeback, the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, wins that one. Probably should have lost it. Okay, how about that one that starred Malcolm Butler when he was a Patriot and he had the interception on the boneheaded play when Russell Wilson throws the, I was at that Super Bowl, yeah. how he throws that at the goal line and basically gave that Super Bowl away. What about the first one they were in when Adam Vinatieri saved him with that game-winning field goal? They had another one against Carolina that was close. So let's say instead of being 7-3 and three in Super Bowls, that Tom Brady was 4-6. and six. He only won four, but he lost six. Paul, I'll start with you. What's Tom Brady's legacy right now if that were the case, is he the number one on Mount Rushmore? Is he the greatest of all time? Four and six, you're kind of getting into LeBron territory there. A lot of championships, but not as many won. Yeah, it, it's a no-brainer. Uh, Ten Super Bowls is a ridiculous number for any NFL player. And any NFL player mm -hmm. dreams of one. Even two is like amazing. But to go to ten Super Bowls as the starting quarterback is legendary regardless. Even if he was 0-10. Okay, now time out here. That's the Buffalo Bills. That's it, Jim yeah. Kelly. It is. I don't, I don't think it is, but it's so hard to do that in football because you have so much turnover between year to year. That's what I was going to say. Absolutely. Team. It, like you're yeah, doing but, it with 10 different but, teams. If he was 0-10, but he's 0 he'd be 10, like, at. He yeah. would, everybody would say you're just in the we're, weaker we're division. We're definitely throwing conference. the tomatoes at him if we're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but still, again, no, 10, look, I mean, he wouldn't be considered the greatest at 0-10, but no, you're still, not even in the it's a great accomplishment to a Hall of Famer. You know, no, he, you're not in the conversation. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, if you're 0-10, you'd have to have win. Three, I would say, is the... 
if you're zero and ten, you're a fucking loser. Excuse me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like zero you're a loser. Would be like, tough. I'm sorry, man. That's just—it's just, a team sport. If you have the worst defense and you're off, I don't you, care, would, dude. you would be laughed at, at if you were zero and ten. I mean, look at look at Peyton Manning, who did not have necessarily the greatest defenses. That'd be like me placing second at every Mr. Olympia I ever did and expecting to be called like one of the greatest of all time. There's absolutely no freaking way I would be like, yeah, you know, I was first runner up, man. But like that's, that's great. That's individual. No, no, with team sports, I do agree. Like, if it was four and six. Yeah, well, let's get off the zero and ten stuff. Right, right. Let's if it's four and six, I mean, you know, we definitely have. To By the way, four Super the- Bowls is still the highest amount for a, qu- a quarterback. Yeah, ties. So it ties. Let's yeah, ties. also be very clear. Yeah, about so that. so we can we can have the conversation because of the accolades and you know all yeah. the other stuff, right? But then we now we're gonna have to seven and three, man. It, it's we look at him as the goat because he's seven and three, dude. Yeah, we didn't start talking about him at being the goat <laughs> after four. Right, we didn't. No, I, I, we well, can pull because yeah, we can know, pull up the, say Montana. Right, we yeah. can pull up the receipts on the, all the social media posts and stuff like that. But it was like after four, then you're like in elite territory. Yeah. Yeah. You are a god. You're a demigod, sure. and all this other stuff. So yeah. yeah, here's how we look at Tom Brady. He's the greatest winner of all time, you know. <laughs> and now because of longevity, he's the greatest quarterback of all time because the numbers are going to speak for themselves. He's right. probably going to play till he's 47 or 50 or whatever he wants to. But he is the greatest winner of all time, and you can never take that. I'd almost, I'd rather be known as the greatest winner of all time than the greatest quarterback of all time. You can let Dan Marino and Peyton Manning fight that one out, but the greatest winner yeah. of all time. And I'll take it one step further. If he was four and six in Super Bowls, if he had lost some of those that could have gone either way, we wouldn't look at him the same way. He'd be a great quarterback. Very successful, but I, I just think there would be people that would never get off someone that was undefeated. Even Troy Aikman was three and zero, a winner. You go to that championship. By the way, no one considers Troy Aikman one of the greatest quarterbacks. Yeah, but, he, but I, I, no, but I, my, my point is, but if he was three and zero, and someone was four and six, you'd be saying, "Well, this guy never lost a Super Bowl." Uh, I look at it like this: Look at LeBron James. He's been to ten finals in the NBA, and he's won four of them. He's lost six of them. Maybe he's had some yeah. inferior teams, but he's lost a lot of finals. Michael Jordan never lost a single finals. And for some people, including me, there's no argument. Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. I don't care about the numbers for LeBron. I don't care about anything else. He'll yeah. never be Michael Jordan. No. Period. There's, I mean, we all know, like, yeah, he. It's a different argument. I hate to I, say it, man, but no, like, but, but it's a similar argument because if he was ten and zero, there'd be Michael. Sorry, you're in second place. But because LeBron is four and six, yeah. he cannot surpass Michael. If not Le, in my eyes. If LeBron won six, not it, your demographic. If and he, all of us are in a different demographic. But you talk to all the younger guys. I'm not that it, much it, younger than you. No, I know that. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I just read an article the other day, and it was, it's a current NBA player, and he's mm-hmm. like, well. Uh, you know, I, I've seen I've seen the Last Dance. I've seen all the new stuff, but LeBron's the greatest in my eyes. And again, because that's a, now a generation. That's where thing. he sits, right? I mean, yeah. and that's and that's like saying like when I was growing up, Michael Jordan wasn't the first. It was Magic Johnson for me. Yeah. And then when Jordan got you know through the bad boy Pistons, yeah. I was like, holy smokes! Like, but at the end of the day, I was buying the Jordan sneakers when the right. third ones came out. So, right. you know, at the end of the day, I mean. No one's really killing each other over LeBron sneakers. They're killing each other over Jordans. Yeah, you know Jordan has a legacy that is unparalleled. It's unmatched. Hundred percent. You know, and I and I'm with you. Like I will argue that to the day I die that Michael Jordan. I I saw him and he crushed me growing up in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. <laughs> during that time where Gary Payton, Sean Percy Kemp. Hawkins, Sean Kemp, you know George Carl with that defense and all that stuff. And then we yeah. we I was just happy that we won a couple games. Yeah. Because but that, that was a, that was a fun finals though. Oh, I was, was at that finals. It was and great. It was, I know? remember following uh, Dennis Rodman into the locker room and, and or following him into the parking lot. 
and because I worked for NBC at the time, mm-hmm. so I was covering the Bulls, and and uh, I, we did a show with Dennis Rodman. So I had to go follow him into the parking lot in Seattle. I think this was even after it was either after a game or a practice, but I'm pretty sure it was after a game. And he goes, "Hey, can you come with me? I have to go. I have to go meet someone. I have to give him something." I go, "Okay, cool." I follow him out there. I'm thinking, "Man, we got to get back. I got to do this interview and you know feed it back to Chicago." Here he goes, "Hey, come over here." And he, this guy's by his trunk. The trunk of his car was open, and he hands Dennis a T-shirt. He goes, "Thanks, man." And he goes, "Oh, here, let me introduce you. Hey, this is Eddie Vetter." <laughs> that was funny. He goes out to meet Eddie Vetter. But that that finals with Seattle. That was oh, entertaining. Yeah. That was, was the a, first one once Jordan got back, and that was number was four a, for it him. A, it was amazing. I mean, I was in high school during that time, and I was just like, I'm just happy that we were there. I mean, you know, not the winning mindset, but we knew yeah. it was the freaking Bulls, dude. And, and it was very hard to root against your own team. But, uh, yeah, Jordan's the GOAT, period. And at the end of the day, I mean— By the way, I am in agreement with that. I don't, yeah, I don't want you, you to know, think Tom, I was against right. No, Tom Brady right now, I mean, like what we're talking about with this season, I mean— the fact that he's coming back, there's a reason for that. He's not just doing it just to show up. He's doing that to see. He's oh, pushing. He he's pushing himself, and I and I yeah. love that, and I'm rooting for him. Absolutely. All right, you know, it wasn't that long ago where there were some people in the world that you know thought Giannis was done. You know, wasn't going to win the finals, and you know the Suns were going to take it, and, and Giannis was, would just drift you. away. That was, that was you, just Tom. you, Tom. No one else uh, thought that. Like I said, there were some brilliant people just about a month and a half ago that thought if Giannis keeps shooting free throws like he has been, oh, I don't know, his entire life, they probably won't win the finals. But then, you know, God touched him and he went 17 for 18 in game six of the NBA finals. And wow, has his life changed since then. So since then, Giannis, Antetokounmpo, Giannis. Um, Greek freak. Yeah, the Greek freak. So since then... Wow, it's been a whirlwind. So after the parade in Milwaukee, he ends up buying an ownership stake in the Milwaukee Brewers, which is very exciting and very cool and something that he seemed to was really, really excited about. He has a sports drink that he's a co-owner in, right? And, And now Gonzaga, the basketball team, and the entire athletic department has made it their official sports drink. I mean... Is that going to be hard for Mark Few to recruit athletes to Gonzaga now? Oh, by the way, Giannis is the owner of our sports drink? Come meet Giannis. Right? Not that they need, they need any recruiting advantages, <laughs> yeah. but they have even more. Giannis is going to be their biggest fan because he's going to want that to sell and do very, very well. So because of the NBA championship, Giannis is now maybe 1A, the biggest star in the NBA, maybe number one. I mean, he's the king right now. And it's just unbelievable how your fortunes as an athlete can change when you win a championship. We wouldn't be talking about him if he hasn't. And and he's he's following an interesting path right now because he signed long-term, you know, eight or ten years with Milwaukee. He's going to be a mainstay there. He got the max. And it kind of reminds you a little bit about what, what Patrick Mahomes is doing with the Kansas City Chiefs. You have another guy in a small market who took over that city by storm, who everybody has embraced, who he he has actually welcomed the community and really want to contribute and be part of it and been that familiar face, him and his wife. I mean, everybody loves Patrick, obviously, around the whole country, but in Kansas City, it's something special and something different. You know, I think you could put Larry Fitzgerald in that category as well. And, you know, he did the same thing. He bought a little piece of the Phoenix Sun. So you have these elite athletes that own a city, right, for their accomplishments and winning a championship. But it looks like they really want to put some long-term roots in there. And, Phil, back, you know, even like a few years ago, athletes wanted to get to New York or L.A. because that's where they thought the money was. But there almost seems to be a blueprint right here. Now, it helps if you win a championship, even though Larry Fitzgerald never did. Russell Wilson, he's almost on that same level in Seattle, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. your hometown. But do you think this is something that other athletes notice? And think, man, you know what? It might not so, be so bad being in Cincinnati or Tampa or Denver or something like that. I think it's great because 
they're showing their entrepreneur spirit, right? And they're making good use out of those max deals. That's what I'm most impressive with is that we always hear about the, the horror stories, and I'm sure you've seen a ton being around the NBA and stuff like that, how often athletes just burn through cash. Well, if you're going to invest in anything, you can invest in another team, just like an owner would. Like the mm-hmm. owner of your team has a, probably has a soccer club over in Europe, maybe runs a race car company or whatever. These are great because this, to me, shows a longevity within the community. He's the basketball player, but he's also doing stuff, like you said, with Gonzaga. He's doing stuff with the Milwaukee Brewers. I love to know that, like, champions are trying to stay put. Yeah. And with Patrick Mahomes, I mean, that contract was a beast. Yeah. Yeah. That was a beast. And to know that, like, again, like, he is investing in his community. He's going to be there. And as a fan, if you're living there, you're thinking, I'm going to root for him always because he's going to be – He's going to have a monument here. Yeah, it gives you you more civic pride when you know that a famous athlete who just brought you a championship cares as much about your hometown as you do. That really resonates with a lot of people, especially sports fans. You know, KD is another guy who, man, he's almost known as much for his investments right now. Yeah, I mean, the people that he hooked up with when he played with the Warriors, I mean, he got involved in the tech (laughs) industry in a big way. Same thing now in Brooklyn. But, man, you're really seeing these guys. It's almost impossible to go broke if you're an NBA star. Like, back in the day, you hear the horror stories of them spending all the money, but now (laughs) It's just too much. I mean, that's not even counting their $200 million shoe deal, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and the world itself, again, is is evolving. Uh, I mean, we were were talking earlier just even about media and how media is changing, right? And, you know, there's other places you can go. You can go to Warner Brothers. You can go to these studios, these older entities. That would be equivalent to, like, L.A. or New York. But because social media and streaming and, and just the way the world is evolving, uh, it, 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 it really evens the playing field for every uh, other sports as well. Um, but each city now has almost an equal opportunity because you can go global because of technology. You can go all over the place. Yeah, so. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no. the size of the city. And if you're relevant and you're a star, you know, the only guy that is kind of doing the opposite of that is Aaron Rodgers, if you think about it. Even though he has invested in the Milwaukee Bucks, he's a part owner of the NBA team. Yeah, he's always got one foot out the door, kind of, and I think this is actually it for him. He's, he's, yeah. but Green Bay is different. I don't know if you guys have ever been there, and it's, it's charming, and it certainly has its appeal, but it is a small town. Yeah, I mean, it's smaller than a college town, and for a guy like Aaron, at some point, you just maybe need a little bit more stimulation, yeah. right? There's well, no way to leave there. It's the Hollywood actresses. <laughs> yeah, and he's a California guy, so yeah. I mean, it, it, it's the perfect place to be in the in the summer and fall. Right. Winters are a little tough, but man, going to Soldier Field or going to um, Lambeau Field is is for a California guy, man. And you got to yeah. do that for 15 years, like he's had to. It's a lot of cold afternoons, Phil. You know, the the world has changed so much. The sports world has changed so much. What would you be like if you were starting as a bodybuilder right now? Would you tap into everything there's out there with social media because you? Oh, I it's mean, a must. If, uh, yeah. And if you're just starting out as a bodybuilder now, they have such an advantage over what you had. Oh, you know, 100%. hoping for a, a protein supplement company to sponsor you or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, a gym. It was now- a lot different back then because the magazines were so strong and the magazines also reached out to those companies day in and day out. If you had a supplement company, this, and let's be honest, the supplement companies weren't as big. You know, you had like your big three, you had like your EAS, you had your metrics, you know, you had like a muscle tech, you know, you mm-hmm. these legacy companies. But I would say right around t- 2008, 2009, you had like a thousand of them because people kind of cracked this code of like, hey, we could just start our own. 
Right, and then you GNC know, will and, carry it, or yeah. you could sell it online or you something. You and I could just start our own. Mm-hmm. Like, you and I could start our own. Or and, put, it, and what put happened, somebody's name on it. Right, and what happened was, once the internet took over, companies realized, wait a minute, I, don't, I, I need to go to the digital route. I don't need to buy ads Store, anymore. Yeah. And that really actually hurt the athletes, because those same athletes that were on publication contracts, that were working for the supplement companies, they kind of colluded and were like, well, we can just go get Joe Blow over here, give him like, you know, just some free protein, and he'll post way more than this athlete will. So it, it, over time, the money has just been completely different. So if I was to start today, I would definitely be extremely vocal, maybe not like a Jake Paul or whatever, but I would definitely be talking mad junk to every other bodybuilder on, on the air, getting those supplement companies to look at me and, but of course, the major thing, especially with bodybuilding, you have to look the part. But you have to make yourself available, and that's the hard time, that's the hard part where in our industry currently is, if you're 24 years old and I say, hey, you wanna do this, they're gonna be like, well, I don't know, because it takes a lot of work to do what you did, and I go, I understand that. You're probably more influencer than competitive bodybuilder. We see more influencers selling you product than a pro, because a pro requires way more time. Yeah. So it is definitely different, it's, it's tough. Because you have uh, to make that choice sure. and, and bet on yourself. And there's only one Mr. Olympia. You know, so what about the other 10 guys? You <laughs> hey know, man, like, it you, sucks. You, you can know? make more money than Mr. Olympia if you know what you're doing on social media. Absolutely. And I don't think there's a sport that's more perfect for having a social media presence than bodybuilding. It's so visual. Yep. You, you have to have a big personality if you're doing this. I mean, there's, there's video. You're throwing weights around. You're showing what you're eating. I mean, the, the size the of the meals, yeah. right? The, the, the supplements, the proteins. And then you just go out in public. Just wear your Speedo and go walk down the street, <laughs> man. There's content for days. Could you Love imagine? I mean, you got to give us a couple. By the way, best little known fact about Phil, college basketball player. Oh, here we go. <laughs> University of Denver? Yep. Nice. We, we played in the Sunbelt Conference back then, so I was playing against, uh, here in Florida, FIU, we were playing against them. I played against Carlos Arroyo way back in the day. Oh, nice. Um, guarding him was a task, you know? <laughs> that guy's a beast. Oh, very much so. But, uh, yeah, I had a interesting time, you know, playing there or not playing there, you know? I, I wrote the pine a lot, but... You know, I learned a lot about the game of basketball, obviously, you know, being on a Division One level. And I'm very, very thankful for that experience, but most importantly, uh, finding my new niche in bodybuilding. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that I went to University of Denver, I would have never found a bunch of bodybuilders that I was taking courses with in IT that were competing that later drew me into that realm. Yeah, you know, so it, everything one door closes, another one opens. Right, I bet that jump shot maybe comes a little short now. It's with a little biceps di- that size. <laughs> it's no jump shot. See, before it was a jump shot. Now it's just like a straight up set shot, and uh, it's very difficult to do the ball handling when you have big calves and you're going between your legs. It's impossible when you have it's, the size it's, it's of the thighs a little that you do. It's a little and by different. the way, how many backboards can you afford when you you know you, <laughs> you launch one into the glass and it shatters like Shaq shot it? Uh, how's your fantasy team looking? You all set up? Uh, real good. We just had our draft this last Saturday, and uh, Yahoo rated mine the second highest. Shout out Salami League. Wow. Uh, Congrats. Got a B plus. On Tough my act to follow. I mean, you got a lot to live up to now, so let's yeah. see what you do. I like the team. I got a very, very well-balanced team. So, All right. Well, guys, well, this is fun. Really appreciate awesome. it. Awesome. Thank you, you for know, having Can me. I count on you for uh, now that you're a regular Florida resident? Let's do it. Popping on here regularly? Absolutely. Let's do it. Pleasure, Phil. Heck Great yeah. to see you. 
Paul, Tom, thanks, thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. Um, if you haven't subscribed to Valuetainment Sports, do it right now. Episode number seven coming up next week and a whole lot more content. Watch for Phil's content, too, coming up on Valuetainment as well as the vault here in Florida from September 1st through the 4th. Thanks for watching, everybody. I'll see you next week.